If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is the Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up and let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast with your host, Shane Larson. That's me. I'm excited to have you with me today because I've got Ian Dixon joining the show. Now, he was a former professional baseball player, played in the minors. He pitched through the minors. He's going to be talking about his high school days, his college days, his professional days, and his post-baseball career and what he learned during the process of playing baseball throughout his whole life and how he's translated that to his business. I love these stories. He has a hell of a story to tell, and I want you to pay attention because I know you can relate to it. Everything he says has value behind it, and I want you to listen up. It's a great episode. So before we get started with the interview, I want to take care of some household items, some housekeeping items, I should say. Make sure, you hear this every week, that you hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to this podcast, you want to show your support, people say, how can I support you? Hit the subscribe button. Subscribe to the show. That way you can catch all the previous episodes that have come out and you can catch the, the future episodes as they come out. You can set notifications on your phone and you'll be notified every single time a new episode publishes, which is every Friday. So for all of those who have been with me from the beginning, I appreciate you. For those who are newer to the show, I appreciate you as well. All the relationships and connections that I've built, um, the guests that have joined the show, huge shout out to every single one of you because you're the reason the show is what it is today. So thank you guys so much. Um, I've been I've been able to connect with some amazing figures in the sports world in the last two years, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So if you guys want to show some support, please hit that subscribe button on whichever device you're listening to it from, whether it's um, the podcast app on iPhones, iPads, um, if it's just iTunes on your Mac, if it's a Google Play Music, Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is, I'm on every single platform. Make sure to hit the subscribe button and make sure you enjoy the show. Enjoy this interview with Ian Dixon. What's going on, everybody? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you know by now, I'm your host, Shane Larson. And as I said in the introduction, we've got a super awesome guest. We're talking the sport of baseball today. I've got Ian Dixon on the line. Ian, thanks for joining the show. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I'm so stoked to have you. Um, so to give you guys a little bit of a background of where I, where I met Ian and how we know each other. It was through work. Uh, I worked for a company called ClickFunnels. We just randomly got in contact for something regarding our, our jobs. But then I come to find out uh, Ian's got quite the history in baseball. So I'm stoked to have him on here. Uh, we're going to talk about his history and just kind of some of his, um, I guess, some of his uh, opinions on how you know sports translate into his business now that he's um, finished playing professional baseball. So Ian, we're going to jump in here real quick. And kind of get the history of your life and when you started playing baseball. Like, what age did you start playing? Oh, man. You know, this is, this is so funny because I remember watching baseball before playing. And I don't, I don't actually know which came first, right? But, like, I have this vision of watching the Mets play the Phillies on TV at, like, the house I grew up in at Veterans Stadium. So I remember, like, I remember the turf and, like, the green color and asking my dad, like, Dad, what's this? And, and he said, baseball. And I said, like, who are we rooting for? And I remember him saying the Mets. And like that moment, I, I must've been like four or five. Right. But that moment always stuck out to me. And as a child, like right across the street from where I grew up, there was this, um, almost like an, uh, like a house office with this, uh, hill and like a, a grass lot. And, as early as I can remember, my dad and I would go there like after school or after, after he came home from work every day and play catch. And like, I just remember waiting at the back door for my dad to come home in his suit. And like the first thing I asked him every day was dad, can we play catch? And I think that just kind of rolled in the little league and like took off from there. That's super cool, man. That's actually a really cool story. Um, So you're playing in little league. Did you guys have club baseball where you were playing basically all year round? Um, I, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Did you actually play club baseball or were you involved in some other sports at the time? So like when I was super young, um, I was playing other sports like more recreationally like soccer and basketball. Uh, I would say like the, the change for me and all that and when baseball really became a year round sport was like it was seventh grade. I was like 13 it, where I grew up. Uh, you were able to start playing school sports, school sports uh, in seventh grade. 
and I remember going out for the basketball team and, and I'm, I'm, I'm six foot five now. I was tall for my age then. And I love playing basketball. Like I still to this day love playing basketball. It's funny. We were talking about it before we hopped on this, like basketball to me, uh, I don't know. It's a faster paced sport. And uh, I love baseball, but basketball is kind of like one of my first uh, joys in sport. So I went out for that, that school team and I kind of made a lot of, a lot of assumptions in it and thought like, because I'm tall, I'm going to make the team. And I made it down to the last day of tryouts and they posted like where everybody stood. And there's literally a category called on the bubble. And my name was under on the bubble. So that night my dad and I went to a local school. It was raining. We were out there in the dark with the lights on under the, you know, under the hoop doing mic ins and shooting foul shots. And I was trying to bust it to make sure that I made the team the next day. And I show up and, uh, we get back to the locker room after tryouts and I walk in, everybody's huddled around, you know, that like that whole tryout atmosphere. And I'm looking on the list and I'm going up and down, up and down, up and down with my finger and my, and my name isn't there. And I got cut. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like the world just ended, <laughs> you know, like in that moment it meant so much, but that's really the catalyst that turned me to focus on baseball full time. And that's when baseball became a year-round sport, whether or not I was playing it, but like training baseball became year-round at that point. Man, that's crazy to hear that. Like, I actually kind of feel sad, like listening to your story, man. But like, I think a lot of people can relate to that, you know, um, going through an experience such as that, like maybe being on the bubble, like you said, um, and then getting cut, finding out that you got cut. So you kind of turned your, your focus um, to baseball year-round. I kind of want your thoughts on you know, that's pretty common nowadays, especially where I live here in Idaho. There's there's baseball clubs that pretty much play all year round for the most part when they can, except for like obviously winter. But they like other places like Arizona and Southern California and just the warmer areas of the country, they'll play all year round. Um, I want your thoughts on year round baseball and compare that to like maybe a multi-sport athlete. Do you think that there's benefits of both? And, and what's your thoughts? So I, I would love to give you the answer in two different lenses because I now like reflect back on sports as an athlete and also as an entrepreneur. So I look at my experience as to how it shaped me in sports and then also how it shaped me in business as an athlete, right? Playing a game, playing a sport year round, playing, you're doing anything year round. You're, you're going to get more time on task, like literal more hours of practice. And I think the compound effect over the compound effect of that over a decade, that really adds up and makes a difference to the point where, when I played in college and we were playing up in the Northeast and we would go down and play against a team that was in warmer weather and you could tell played all year, they, they were, they were different level than us. And I, I, I really, I literally attribute it to having more time practicing. So if the goal right at that age, and I guess, I think what I come back to is it's so tough to know at that young age, what the goal is. We all have these dreams and these visions. And I think that is so super important at the end of the day, though, I don't think we really, like take all that into context for like long-term life. If the goal is to become the best baseball player, I think year-round baseball is the way to do it, right? I also see a ton of value in rounding yourself as an athlete. Like I wish I played hockey, for example, because my biggest weakness as a pitcher was my hips and my groin flexibility and really being able to get low and into my legs. So I wish I grew up skating just so that got ingrained into me. So, I mean, I could probably argue this like either way, from the sports side of it. Ah, I like that though. It's a good perspective on, on the situation and bringing hockey into it because of the hip flexors and the, the different things that you, the different strength you build from different sports, you're using different muscles. You're, you're, you, it requires a completely different skill set athletically. And, um, it's interesting to hear that you just mentioned hockey and how that would help you with pitching. So that's something I've never actually thought before. So, you know, Ian, we're, we're going to go to your, your, your life. Again, we're going to go back into this. We're talking about, you know, going pro. Okay. So like some kids take different routes to going into the professional realm of baseball. You know, a lot of them will go straight out of high school and then some go to college. Like that's just how it is. Like the, the way that baseball works is you can, you have an opportunity out of high school and some have an opportunity out of college. Now, can you explain to me the process that you took, the process that you went through, you know, and how you believe it impacted your route to go to the pros? Sure, man. So coming out of that uh, cut from basketball around like, you know, age 13, seventh grade, um, I had been a pitcher at that point. I'd had some success as a pitcher. 
And a lot of people were pushing me to go find like private coaching. And we'd probably been searching around this for like two years, but we stumbled upon somebody who became like a, a mentor to me through and through. And he was my pitching coach for the next you know, 12 years of my career. And he, at the end of it, like looking back, was far and away the best asset that I had in this game. He was, he was the most knowledgeable coach that I came across from a pitching perspective when it came to biomechanics. And that's, that's driven by his why. His story is incredible. He basically was like top-level prospect, got drafted out of college after winning a national championship, and then got chewed up and spit out by the system and got injured and his mechanics broke down. And he kind of looked back and went, what just happened? And his whole why, like the reason that he went into business was because he wanted to make sure that that didn't happen to anybody else. So I grew up in this environment where so much value was placed on process over results. So I was always constantly working to get to the dream, regardless of the results that that yielded. So if I had a bad performance, the focus wasn't on that. The focus was on, did you put the extra work in after? Did, did we go and we do the follow the routine and doing the tubing and the sprints and the push-ups and the core work? Because we had trust through Rob that all of that would compound. So my journey through high school baseball, like, and coming even up before that, it was funny. Like, I was never really the best on, on my teams or in my league. I was always chasing other people, and I'm grateful for that because I don't think I would have gotten to the level that I, that I did without having that. There was no, uh, no complacency in it. It was always, like, striving for more. And when it came time that high school had ended – uh, I don't. I, I personally like didn't have the opportunity to be drafted. My my skill set hadn't like reached my level of work. We always trusted that it would get there, but in that moment, like I was probably throwing. Uh, let's see. When I when I graduated high school, like 86, 87 was where I was topping out, and I committed to go to college. And I went to uh, a four year school, which means that you're basically you're committing to three years of it. Like you can't get drafted until your junior year. So some guys can get drafted, as you mentioned, some guys can get drafted out of high school. Or if you go to like a JUCO or a two-year school, you can get drafted after your first year out of the JUCO. If you go to a traditional four-year school, you have to play three years of baseball before you can get drafted. So it's crazy. It's like you're either getting picked at like 17, 18, or you got to wait till you're 21. So for me, I didn't have that 17 or 18 opportunity. I didn't have the opportunity out of high school. I wasn't getting talked to by any scouts. It wasn't really on the radar. It was still more of a, a dream than a possibility. But that summer after I graduated high school, it was like it was like the first time that I remember that it felt like all that work really did compound. Because I remember my last outing, you know, late July, before I was going off to school early August, I hit 90 for the first time on the radar gun. And then we started thinking, man, like, should I go to school? Like, should I do like a prep year? Like, what do we do in this moment? We, we, we kind of like always hoped this would happen, but didn't expect it. So I ended up going to school and, and kind of following that path, but that's why uh, I ended up getting drafted out of college and not high school. Very interesting, and it's cool to hear, you know, it's it's very interesting to hear the, the baseball system. You either go out of high school or you can go to a JUCO, but if you go to a traditional school, you got to go three years. It's it's kind of crazy how that works, um, it's just the baseball system. Now, you decide to go to the four-year school, and, you, and you're – you're playing. I want to know what your college experience was like. So some people go right out of high school, you went to college. So what was the competition like? What did you feel like your college experience did for you? And what did you learn from it? (laughs) In a word, it was tumultuous. I learned how to deal with adversity. Those those are my greatest lessons from college. It's funny, (laughs) man. It's like, I think um, this transition happens time and time again throughout life, but it's like being a senior in high school, you're the oldest, you're the leader of the team. And then all of a sudden you become a freshman in college and you show up to practice day one, you look around and you're like, oh my gosh, these are men that I'm playing against and with. (laughs) And I'm like a little boy again, you know, like you're at the bottom of the totem pole. And that was wild. There was some personal stuff that mixed in. My performance wasn't all that great. So, I mean, there there was a lot of opportunity to learn from failure and adversity. And again, that's something that I'm grateful for and I think has, shaped this like determination and persistence and perseverance that I don't think you get from uh, just any other experience. Like that's one of the reasons why I value sports so much is because it's a safe environment to like learn through failure and learn how to deal with that. Like baseball is a great sport, right? And people use this cliche all the time, but it's true. You know, you can get out seven out of 10 times and be a hall of famer. 
like it, it teaches you how to mentally deal with all of that. So for me, like that was my biggest takeaway from college as a whole. Uh, and you know what? I also have, have one other tidbit that like my coach always used to say, and, and to be upfront, the relationship that I had with my coaches in college wasn't, uh, wasn't all that great. It wasn't spectacular. It kind of, and we can get into kind of how my college trajectory wrapped up and went into the draft. Um, but one thing that I always remember my coach saying that stood out to me, and like I live by this by this day, he always say the only wrong decision is indecision. Ah, I like that. I like that. Holy, okay. Little words of advice, dropping bombs. I like it. It's man, I love this story, Ian. It's this is really cool. This is really cool for us to hear now. You get through college, all right, and we want to know about the MLB draft. Like, how did this whole process work for you? Did you have to get an agent? Did you get a signing bonus? All those little things that, that come with baseball because we hear about stuff. You know, we have high school athletes around here in the valley that I live in that'll that'll go and they, they, they decide to go straight out of high school because they think the money's good because the signing bonus is decent, but then they never make it, so they never ended up actually getting the full amount that they thought they might end up getting later on, but that signing bonus looked good. So I just kind of want to know your thoughts and, and what happened with the MLB draft, how that process worked out for you. Yeah, man, I, I'm I like I'm so happy to share everything that I learned from this process because going through it, there's so much unknown and it's it's such a meaningful event in somebody's life that they're pursuing that dream. So for me, this is kind of how it shook out for me and then I'll, I'll give some takeaways that I had from it. I, again, like to kind of take this story forward, that work that I was putting in continued through college, kind of facing some interesting situations where I might, I was doing things a little bit differently than maybe other pitchers or other players on the team. And um, mechanically, I was very, I very much believed in what I was doing. Um, something is, I'll break it down to something like tangible, right? I believe in long toss through and through, like throwing the ball as far as you can with good mechanics, good control. Um, and a lot of people in baseball don't believe in that as a practice. I think it's bad for your arm. I was fundamentally taught that it's great for your arm. It allows you to stretch it out. So doing stuff like that causes a little bit of a rub, right? I had a very tough first two years actually pitching. My velocity was going in the right direction, but I had no off speed. I had no slider. I had no change up. And uh, as a result with metal bats and just a fastball, that's pretty flat you get pelted. So like my ERA in college, I think is somewhere north of seven, believe it or not. Oh, wow. And uh, it's crazy. And coming out of my, and, and this is the lesson I think for anybody out there listening to this who's a baseball player now, your stats and your results do not matter until after you get drafted. Everything before is all prep for the moment where they, where a team has the opportunity to pick you. All they are looking for is projectability. Now, with that being said, if you go out and you dice up Division One baseball for three years, you're going to make more money in the draft, sure. But to actually have that opportunity, the, the numbers behind it don't matter as much. If you're throwing the ball, I'm just going to take a random number, 95, 96, coming out of college and you suck, you had bad numbers, you had bad stats, a high ERA, that's not going to matter that much, right? So I, I like – I. All the advice I give the kids is focus on progress, focus on growth, focus on taking the game to the next level because the draft day is, is what matters the most. So moving forward, I, um, I had a tough time. I ended up going down and playing in the Valley Baseball League for summer ball, um, similar to like the Cape Cod League, but just not at that level, right? Uh, probably like a tier two league, I would say. And I kind of blossomed into a different pitcher. Out of co in college, I was, I was pitching on the bullpen my first two years. I didn't start at all. And I always grew up as a starter. Huge, again, huge routine, huge process guy, right? So the bullpen was really foreign to me. Um, I, I always struggled with that in my career and, like, getting ready and prepped in an instant. I, I very much valued having my five-day or seven-day routine and knowing that I was putting the right work in to be prepped. It just gave me a different level of confidence, and I literally pitched different as a result as a starter. So in that summer league, I got the opportunity to start, and things kind of came together. Um, I went from that 70 ERA in college to finishing the year, like, right around the two ERA, leading the league in, like, batting average again, strikeouts, uh, some other statistical categories. And I think, like, my last outing of that summer, I threw a 17-strikeout, nine-inning no-hitter 
And that was really what kind of catapulted me and put me in this, in this area where the scouts were now reaching out and sending me questionnaires and, you know, trying to gather information for me for the draft. They didn't care about anything before that, right? It didn't matter that I had the 70 ERA. It didn't matter what high school I went to. It didn't matter what, what velocity I threw when I was 15. They cared about in that moment, I put it together and became a potential asset to an organization. So uh, put in all this work, right? Working, working, working. Finally, the results come. I have this feeling of, wow, okay, it, 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 it works. Like, all that time is going to pay off. We're right here. It's going to happen. And then, as life goes, on our last conditioning day of the fall, before, like, our big rivalry football game, Lafayette Lehigh, we're playing European handball for fun conditioning. That's how we always close out, like, the, <laughs> the fall session. And uh, at the time, I was, um, I'll say, a more arrogant, testosterone-driven athlete, and my team was winning by five points with, like, five seconds on the clock. And, you know, the, the guy that I was wanted to score one more point. So I'm sprinting down the turf. I call for an alley-oop jump pass. Somebody throws it to me, and I remember it, like, I'm stretched, fully outstretched, all of my joints, like, extended, reaching for this ball. And it tips off my fingertips, and I come down to the ground, roll my ankle, sublux my kneecap, tear my ACL, tear my meniscus. Oh, my Boom, on the ground. Oh, and, like, wow. in that moment, I didn't know it was ACL meniscus, right? It's not like, it's not like you, you get your MRI result as you hit the ground. Um, but I was, I was laying there. I felt this, like, I felt this discomfort. I couldn't call it pain, right? It wasn't like a sharp shooting pain. It was almost like this nausea, discomfort, like this deep, uncomfortable feeling of my body telling me something is wrong. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that something was very, very wrong in that moment. So, yeah, it turns out ACL meniscus uh, gone and had the interesting challenge of figuring out what to do next in that moment. And uh, some of the conflict was between, like, the coaches I mentioned earlier was trying to decide well, do we put a brace on it and try to pitch? You know, because at that point I was the, I was going I was going to be the ace of the staff, right? That's a big loss for the the team. And Rob, my mentor, he asked about agents, right? Rob, who was my mentor, he threw and through was like, no, we're gonna get surgery right now. You know, you'll miss a year, you'll redshirt, you'll still have eligibility the next year and the year after that. So you'll be able to enter the draft next year with um, a year of eligibility behind it for leverage, right? So. Talking about the drafts real quick, when you go as a junior, because you have the ability to say no and go to your senior year, you have more leverage, you can get paid more, right? You can actually okay. say no. It makes sense, right? If you get drafted as a senior, it's very tough, and uh, the teams will take advantage of that and offer you less because they know if you say no, you're choosing to get a job instead of pursuing your dream, right? A lot of people will take less money to, to do the, the dream than the job. So... Okay. Um, to try to like tie this up and, and move faster through the story. I ended up going from talking to all 30 teams down to talking about two and uh, through, through a series of events, got a little bit of uh, luck and opportunity. And they came out and saw me throw as I was rehabbing for my ACL, like right before the draft, I it was the first time I picked up a baseball and these two scouts were at Villanova watching somebody else pitch. And they said, Ian, if you're in town, like we'd like to see you throw. So they saw me throw once. And as a result of that, the Cubs said, you know what? It's just in me. Your arm looks fine. Let's do a draft and follow. We'll take you so long as you're open to this, and we'll evaluate you that summer. And uh, we're not going to draft you and then give you, you know, we're not going to draft you and give you an offer. We're going to draft you and then watch you throw, and we'll see where it goes. And we said, yeah, that's great. And so, the, you know, the only condition is, like, the only condition in which I'll sign is if you guys pay me what I'm worth in that moment, right? If we earn it, pay us. If we don't, don't. No big deal. And that's kind of how we pursued that whole that whole journey. Man, there is a story behind that. That's crazy. It's not just a simple yeah, dude. There was a lot to go behind that, and I appreciate you sharing that with us because it's unique. Um, it's something that a lot of athletes should know. So I'm glad that you shared that so that the listeners can hear it and uh, have that in the back of their minds when they go through a similar process. Hopefully, they don't end up playing European handball and blow their knee out. But at the same time, like just have an understanding of how the process works. But uh, I think we all, as as athletes and former athletes, the ones that listen to the show uh, and myself, I think we can all relate to being, you know, 
the competitive the competitive nature in us is just that's just how we are so i kind of actually see the reason why you wanted to do that at the end of that game just so you know but um let's get into your your minor league story real quick so so ian we we know that you um you go into the minors and we hear that the minors can be brutal and i remember you talking to me saying that you actually spent a season with the boise hawks which is here in in idaho where i live a lot of my listeners are from here. It's the Treasure Valley, the Boise Hawks. And that was your first year. And I kind of just want to know, what did you uh, what was, uh, what was, did you learn during your, your playing time that first year in the minor leagues? And how was it? Was it a big adjustment from college? Just what was that experience like when you first got in the minors? Yeah, man. So the minor leagues are, are kind of brutal. It's so, it's so strange, right? Because coming out of the draft, there's this massive polarization in how much people got paid coming out of the draft. You have guys who get paid seven figures in the top round, and then you have guys who sign for like five grand, right? And, and you, don't, you don't make money in the minor leagues. Everybody, everybody in the minor leagues has the same uniform contract until you reach, like, you know, until you, until you uh, work your way out of that contract. It's like, it's like a seven-year minimum contract, right? So for context, after you sign, everybody enters the minor leagues and is basically making like a grand a month while only the months you're playing, everybody, right? Whether you're the first pick or you're the last pick, you're getting the same salary. So that signing bonus goes a long way in determining your quality of life and like kind of how long you can sustain this because you don't have any other income, right? So um, making the shift from college to the minor leagues was uh, like, to me, this is, this was the, the transformation that occurred. It was like baseball is no longer a hobby, it's no longer a sport. It's no longer a job. Like baseball is now life through and through, right? So like every decision that I was making had this higher level of importance because I felt so much closer to the end vision of like, wow, okay, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to everything because now I have an opportunity that most people don't get and I'm going to maximize it. So for me, like that was the biggest shift that and also, uh, basically like living out of a hotel or somebody's uh, somebody else's house as a host family and eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly and spending a ton of time on buses <laughs> and playing in front of an actual like city as a crowd instead of a school. Those are the biggest shifts. But Boise, man, Boise was an absolute blast. I, I'm so grateful that like I kind of broke in at Boise. It was such a fun spot to play and the people were great. My host family was great. Um, I went to Boise in 2012. So actually like the year I got drafted in 2011, um, I was still kind of rehabbing, so I went to instructional league, uh, which is instructional league takes place after the minor league season. It's kind of like this extra camp that they'll bring guys to for a variety of different reasons. Mine was just rehabbing from injury. A uh, whole crazy story there about how the last day before camp, I got like, pushed through a window by a drunk teammate and almost uh, almost lost my um, – like almost ended my career. I had a piece of glass go through my right forearm and pitching arm, but that's a story for a different episode. Not, my not goodness. Oh, um, <laughs> that's, that's another story. That's a different one. But uh, the next year I went to extended spring training, which, you know, you go to spring training uh, late February, early March in the minor leagues. And if you break camp at the end of March, you'll go to your affiliate, you go to your team, you get your assignment or you could not break camp and get held back for injury or just because there's not a roster spot, a lot of different reasons, but short season, which is what Boise is short season exists so that when guys come out of the draft, they have a place to go right away. So short season usually starts immediately following the draft. And a lot of guys out of college who just played their college ball will go straight to short season. So that's where I started after coming off the injury. And dude, Boise was a Boise was just, it was such a blast. It's, so many good memories there, like made some really great friendships. That team was solid. We ended up losing in the championship to the Vancouver Canadiens, but uh, like a lot of guys I played with on that team are in the league now. A lot of those guys won the World Series with the Cubs when they broke the curse. Like just some tremendous, like it, it's deeper than friendship, right? It's like brotherhood at that point, you know, like you share a locker room with somebody. It's, it's more than a friend or a teammate, especially when you're, you're going out at that level and pursuing this higher level dream. So, like, to be able to watch those guys have that ultimate glory, uh, it was, like, fulfilling for me in a way. And, like, I was honored to be able to say that I shared the field with them. So, like, I have just only positive memories of Boise. That's so awesome, man. So freaking cool. And, yeah, <clears throat> sorry, pardon me. We'll need to make sure that we have you on the show again so you can go through that uh, story of you going through a window because 
most certainly is a story we want to hear. There's some detail to it, man. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet it, there is. So we're going to definitely have you on again. So I just kind of want to know from you, and like, did you have a favorite place? Like, how long was your pro career? Was it four or five years? You had showed me as to, you went to 2016. Is that correct? Yeah, so drafted in 11, released in 16, uh, played like parts of five seasons. Uh, what was the question? What was my favorite place to play? Yeah, like, so that was, I was asking, you know, how long you had played. So during that five, six years, you know, from the time you were drafted, you know, going through the, the instructional league and, and getting yourself rehabbed and then going through, what was your favorite place to play? Like, where was your favorite city that you stopped by and what was the best organization that you've played for? So I'll, I'll take you kind of through a journey because I, I have different favorites for different reasons. Right, like I love Boise because I thought it, it was an awesome way to break into the league. There are definitely pieces of the Northwest League that I didn't like. There's a lot of travel, a lot of like after the game, late night travel, driving through windy roads in Oregon, like trying to sleep, thinking, are we about to fall off a cliff while you're trying to get up to Washington? <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed playing in Vancouver. Actually, Vancouver's a really cool city. Uh, the fans there were super passionate. Like they sold out every night that we would go. And I just remember, like, the electricity in that stadium. Uh, so then my second year out of, uh, after playing for Boise, I was promoted to low A in Kane County, which is the Midwest League. The Midwest League um, is a little bit uh, bigger of a league. And the cool part about that for me was we were in the Cubs organization, and we were playing about an hour outside of Chicago. So that was another area. That, that stadium held, like, maybe 14,000. I don't think I ever saw it full, but um, – it was, again, it was a different passion behind the fandom because the the major league fans would all come to want to see the guys who are coming up the pipeline. So, like, Boise, for example, when I played there, it was a Cubs affiliate. I actually don't know who the affiliate is now. I know recently it was the Rockies. I don't know if they still are. But in the minor leagues, like, sometimes that changes. Right. So teams, like, like, the fans get really into the Boise Hawks, but maybe not the team that's backing it. Um, whereas in Kane County, and again, Kane County shifted, Kane County's not the Cubs anymore. And like the year before I was there was the athletics. So that shifted too, but to be able to play that close to Chicago, being in the Cubs organization was awesome. Uh, I actually got traded halfway through that season, which again is another story that needs more detail. Um, but I ended up getting (laughs) traded to the nationals and, uh, I was like very humbled by that trade. Um, it was directly for a guy who was in the major leagues at the time. And what really, like, what really allowed me to open my career to the next level was one that, that indicated that a team wanted me, right? They were able to give something up to get me. That was a cool feeling. And then two, they were kind of more open to my methodology behind throwing the ball. So like, they let me long toss. They saw me as a starter. Um, it was more of a natural fit. I love the Cubs organization. I love the people in the Cubs organization. I mean, clearly they made some right decisions because right after they traded me, they won the World Series. But um, <laughs> the Nationals org, uh, I think I probably meshed a little bit better with them. I ended up going to Hagerstown. Hagerstown wasn't my favorite place to play. Um, that league was a little bit brutal, too, like the travel there. But I was on the East Coast, so I was closer to home. So, like, I was able to see my family, my girlfriend. A lot of friends came out to see me play. Um, so that was one of the benefits there. But then my ultimate favorite spot to play, like, uh, out of everything, would have had to be where I ended up in uh, Potomac. Uh, and I'm, I'm just talking about uh, home teams at this point. I guess if we went into like away cities, there's a lot of different choices, but um, Potomac was my favorite home place to play. And mainly because of the people more than anything, like it's not like the stadium was that glamorous, but uh, the fans there were super passionate. We had the same team that we had the year before we had lost in the, in the championships. We were on a mission and I think like the reason it was my favorite is because we actually went that year and overcame a lot of, a lot of adversity to win the championship uh, in 2014. And that kind of like solidified it as like my most, my most uh, like glorious memory of a location, but there were some away stadiums that we played at like Fort Wayne, Indiana. That was a, that's a beautiful field. I think it was the Padres that played at the time, the tin cap. And then, um, Oh gosh, down in South Carolina, the drive. I don't know what city it is. Maybe Charleston. It's a Red Sox affiliate. I think they built the stadium kind of the model Fenway. So that was really cool too. Oh, those, wow. those as a whole are like my favorite spots. Man, you got to see some, some cool places, play in some cool places. That's the cool thing about sports. I think Ian is that it does like for some people, it will 
take you around the world. It's actually really cool. Like it'll take you around to different places. You get to travel and you get to experience a lot of things. Now, when did you decide that you were going to hang up the cleats, man? Oh, so, okay. Right. So coming out of, uh, out of the trade, we go to Hagerstown. I put up one of my better years as a starter. Um, had like a, like a four, three ERA. I think that half, uh, more than a strikeout in inning. Uh, I could tell that I was pitching better because I started growing my hair out. That was like, uh, <laughs> that was the thing in the Cubs organization. It was pants up, uh, haircut to the collar, like had to be clean shaven. And the Nats followed a little bit of that too. I had to be clean shaven and hair was allowed to be a little bit longer, but I could wear uh, long pants if I wanted to. Um, so going to Potomac, I was, my whole career, man, I battled between the bullpen and starting. Uh, I was always kind of like that sixth man in the rotation. So um, I would like start at the bullpen and then get a starting spot. And then I'd lose a starting spot, go back to the bullpen and then come back to the starter. And then I'd be a spot starter and then I'd go to the bullpen again. So that was really tough on me. But uh, Potomac, the first half of the season, I had like a six ERA. I went home, I worked with Rob and we tightened a couple things up and I came back and a starting spot opened and kind of went on a tear the second half of that season. And again, my hair was growing longer. So you could tell that I was pitching decent, but uh, I closed out that year having like, I don't know, like a, a two and a half ERA in the second half and kind of helped lead the charge to that championship run was throwing the ball harder. My changeup was like phenomenal. Um, I really felt like, again, I was finally on like back on that path, like similar to where I was before the knee injury and uh, going to that off season and just prepping for 2015, like excited, like literally in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you're going to go to double A. And if you do the same thing that you just did this year in double A, you're a phone call away from the major leagues. That's how it works. If you perform at double A, if you perform at that level, you're a phone call away. It, it can happen any moment, and it does. It's crazy. Like, guys, guys ascend that quickly where they have a breakout year, and the next year they do really well at double A, a spot opens up, and they go, okay, bring him up. Let's do it. Let's see what he's got. Right. So that was kind of in the back of my mind. I worked my tail off that offseason, came to camp with my hair down to my shoulders, and uh, my first outing in spring training in 2015, it was an interest squad. I went to early spring training, so it was like late February. It was an interest squad, and I was facing Danny Espinoza. And I will never forget this moment. He, uh, he battled to a 3-2 count and fouled off a couple fastballs. And I remember I reared back as hard as I could and blew one by him. And as the ball hit the glove, I felt this, like, twinge in my forearm. And I was like, ooh, that's not, that's not good. What was that? But at the same point, I was like, you know what? It's a one-inning intra-squad. I've got one out. I only have two more to go. Feels kind of like a cramp. Probably nothing. I've pitched through worse. Let's just get out of this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll evaluate after. Next batter goes long. And deep into the count again, like, it was almost like every other pitch. It wasn't every single pitch. Every other pitch, I felt my form, like, tightening. And I ended up getting him out on the ground ball. So I'm like, you know what? Two outs. I'm literally one pitch away. doesn't matter what my form feels like. Unless it blows up, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. And I'm facing the next hitter. And I get like 0-2 on him. And I'm, I'm like, my form, again, it feels like it's compressing at this point. Like it feels like it's just squeezing and tightening. And 0-2, throw a fastball high and tight, and I drill him right in the hand. Got away from me. Like my form twins gets away from me, hits him in the hand. Now I'm getting a little bit concerned. Because I'm like, okay, losing control. This isn't getting better. Uh, I don't really know what to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try one more batter. So, uh, guy says at the plate, lefty power hitter, and uh, gets called a two seamer low and away. And I'm pitching from the stretch. So I'm going first, check him, break to the plate, throw it, trying to reach low and away. I bounce it like halfway to home plate, and my form just feels like it imploded like it felt like everything was compressing and then just popped and gave way and I remember I was like doing the you know cutting hand signal to the neck as I'm walking up the mound before the ball even got to the plate and I'm in the dugout and there's like what just happened I'm like I have no idea but I think I might have just torn my ACL like I think I need Tommy John I, I don't know what else this is I've never had anything like this um so I ended up going into the locker room the team doctor was on there and he checks it and he says you know not really sure it feels like it is a little bit loose. I can't really tell. We need to get an MRI. I go in and get the MRI, and uh, results come back that it's a flexor pronator strain. They say no tear of the ligament, 
flexor pronator strain, and there's not really a, a standard protocol and like timeline to recover from that. So talk to the training staff. Uh, they said, you know, we're going to take, uh, I think at first it was like three days, something very minimal at first. And I spoke to some other experts that are like my mentors in the strength and conditioning and biomechanics space to get their opinion. And they were all the same mind. It's like, you know, it's a muscle injury. Uh, you're going to have to feel your way through it, but uh, you should be good to come back pretty quickly. And the Nationals mindset was, well, if we can do this at a way where it doesn't influence how you break camp, that would be great, right? If, if I can still get out on time, then this doesn't matter. So I come back. I remember I, I make my first throw, and I'm like, nope, no good. So we go from three days to a 15-day rest. I come back from throwing after the 15 days. feels better, just not the same. And working through it, playing catch, get to my first, like, day thrown off the mound. And I ended up asking them, you know, hey, can I take, um, like, one day's rest? Just because I feel like there's a lot of inflammation. It doesn't hurt. It's not pain. But it's not fully healed. Can I just get one day? And they said, you know what? Yes, you can have a day. But if we're going to take a day, spring training is about to end. Why don't you just take three or four? Let's do an MRI to make sure, again, it's nothing, nothing more serious than that. And um, we'll take a couple days rest. There's no rush, right? You're not breaking camp. There's no rush. I'm like, cool, that makes sense. So we go and get the second MRI, inject some dye into it. Results come back the same, confirm the first MRI. And all of a sudden, I come back to, to the ballpark, and I get sat down, and they say, Ian, you know what? We decided that we want to shut you down for 60 days. And I'm like, 60 days? What? What do you mean? Like, I asked for one day off. Why? 60 is a lot, guys. That's like a third of the season. What are we talking about? And they ended up deciding that I was going to take 60 days off from throwing, even though initially it was only three, right? I only asked for oh, one. Wow. Nothing changed in the MRI. We went with 60. Um, that was tough, man. I mean, injuries are always tough. I think a lot of us have gone through that. Um, but came back out of it. Worked my way back into the rotation like in like late July, early August. Pitched for like a month. Still didn't feel right. Still didn't feel the same. Um, much longer story to like how this all went down that maybe we'll save for next time. But I ended up coming back to camp next year. And two weeks in, I got released and kind of had to look this crazy decision that I never thought I'd have to make. Like, you know, as a as a kid, I always had this unwavering faith and like, I'm going to get there. Like I have this dream and I'm going to get there and I believe in it and I see it and I'm going to make it happen. And it was like the closer I got, the more it felt like us oh, is meant to be like, it's, it's going to come together. And then showing up to the park one day and like, you know, and the way it happened, I, I got a little bit blindsided and I'll, I'll tell that story another time because it's, it's longer. Um, but yeah, man, like again, similar to the ACL, right? It's like gone in an instant. All that work, you don't expect it, and then you show up one day, and you sit down across from the people who run the run the business, run the run the team, and they let you know that they're going in a different direction. And, uh, and that was a really really tough transition, man. I mean, it's like painful thinking about it. I, when I reflect back, I'm grateful for it, and like I have this this inherent, and I I, I want it. This is. Uh, this is a lesson or like, a, you know, advice, insight. I don't know how you phrase this, but I hope that other people can take, take this away because it's worked wonders for me. Some, for some reason, like in that moment, like, I, I don't know how, like I, my mentors, like with Rob, like I was trained to think, like, how do I make this the best thing that's ever happened? Like, when I got traded, the mindset was, how do I make this trade the best thing that's ever happened? So when I got released, like I was asking myself that question, I had no idea what the answer was. But I was asking myself, like, how do I make this the best thing that's ever happened? And, like, looking back on it three years later, I think the, the three-year anniversary of it was, like, two weeks ago, like, I, I feel like it was for the right reason. Like, I, I, feel, I feel good about it. I'm, I'm happy that it happened when it did because it catapulted me to a different life and business that uh, I'm super excited about and attack with the same passion I brought to sports. It's just a totally different vehicle. Man. Such a cool story, and I and it's sad, sad to hear that. Uh, but I like what you're saying. Like, there's a reason for it, and it kind of got you in into a different trajectory and and where you're going in life right now. And so, to finish up real quick, in um, I kind of want to talk about that. Like, what you've taken from sports and, and specifically in baseball, um, whether it be the struggles, whether it be the the victories you've gone through, 
you know, all the stuff that you experience, maybe even getting, you know, released and blindsided at the very end of your career, um, and how that is like a parallel with your business and how you've used that to help you in your business. Yeah, man. So like when I was in baseball playing, I didn't, I didn't realize any of this, right? Like what I'm about to talk about, it's not inherently taught, you know, like you don't show up to play sports to learn what I'm about to talk about but it, it just happens. And I almost think it's better because of that, because it, it, because it's unintentional, it becomes like ingrained into your being. Right. And right. what sports taught me was like, I would say almost everything. Right? Like I've learned so much more from that experience than from sitting in a classroom and sitting in a classroom might be like applicable knowledge that I, I can learn it and I can go and apply it and implement it. But like the characteristics that are developed through sports, those are things that can't be taught in a classroom in a, in a 10 week lecture. You know what I mean? Like the things that you learn from sports, you play sports for a decade, 15 years, whatever it is. Like it takes that long to learn those things like perseverance, determination, discipline, teamwork, collaboration, how to have a positive attitude, deal with failure, right? Like all of that. And those are all the characteristics and skill sets that when people in business go to hire, that's what they're looking for. But there's this crazy dynamic where, like, coming out of sports, I see this all the time. It drives me nuts. And my wife and I have started, uh, I, I would say, a, a mentorship around it. It's not, not really a business at this point. But, like, everybody who comes out of sports, out of college, they get devalued by the marketplace. And maybe not everybody, but it's a pattern that, that I went through myself that I see re- repeating over and over again, where you go to interview and you go to fill out your resume and you're like, shoot, I don't actually know what to put on here because I played, I played baseball with all my time. Like, I don't have an internship. I've, I haven't had a job yet. Like, I, I, I didn't do any of that stuff that those guys did because I was playing baseball. And not, do I put baseball on my resume? Like, I, I don't know. The crazy thing is, like, at least when I asked that question, <laughs> the career advisors didn't have an answer. They, like, they weren't really sure. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put baseball down because I have nothing else, right? But you go into these interviews – and people in the interviews they ask these questions of like, well, I see here that you didn't have an internship and all of our other candidates did. How are you going to overcome that? Right. In the moment, I remember that being like a crippling question. Cause I'm like, shoot, I don't know. It's a good point. Like I didn't do that internship and maybe I should have, I don't know. Should I have done the internship? Like, is that really that, is it really, really important? And looking back on it, my, my hard and fast answer is no, it's not because the two week internship can only teach you two week skills. Right. What you learned in those two weeks or what somebody else learned in those two weeks or those two months or the year, whatever it is, that's how much time it takes to build that skill. You can catch up. The skills Uh you build through sports, those are 10 to 15 year skills. So if you go and you hire the person who has the the one year of job experience or the month long internship, they may be 15 years behind in the things that really matter, like determination, persistence, discipline, teamwork how to deal with failure, how to overcome adversity. Those are things that you can't learn through an internship. So that to me, like that's the gift that sports gives us all is we learned all those lessons, whether you realize it or not, it's in you, right? All the time I meet athletes and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize you're an athlete, but I know you're super successful. Now it makes sense, right? Like there's a reason why you're successful because you've learned how to build success in sports. So it's easier to build success in business because you've already done it. You've had that experience. And to me, that experience is so much more valuable than, and I don't want to disparage internships, but you know, like what, what do people really do in those internships? A lot of times it's getting coffee and, and doing like administrative tasks and being an assistant, like being in the workplace and getting exposed to that. Yes, that's great. But when you get your first job, you will be caught up in those two weeks. You'll be, you'll be 15 years ahead because of all the skills that you've built through sports. And like, I believe that so firmly, man, I really appreciate your insight on that, Ian. And it's really eye opening. I think part of the reason I do this podcast and people know this is so I can show people that, um, athletes aren't just dumb jocks. Uh, I think there's a perception, there's a stereotype out there for athletes, but in reality with what you just said, it kind of just plays right into the role. Like they're not at all. Actually. In fact, there's so many skills you learn 
through growing up and playing and the, the things you go through and how you can translate that into a job, into your normal, you know, the workforce. And I think it's awesome what you just shared and I appreciate it. Now we will be having you back on the show to discuss the other stuff in more detail because there's a lot more that I'd like to know about those uh, experiences you shared today. But Ian, I really appreciate you joining us, man, sharing the baseball story. I know I got a lot of baseball fans listening. They're going to love it. So thank you so much, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Can I give one like closing, uh, piece of wisdom or advice that like really meant a lot to me when I got it. And I don't know if there's anybody out there listening to it who is in the same spot in their life, but if it, if it could change one person's trajectory like that, that would mean the world. Go for it, man. Go for it. When sports ended for me, I mean, I, like I literally felt like I lost a piece of my identity. And like, I grew up Ian, the baseball player. And when I woke up that next day and I literally had like, 10 hours of time that I didn't know what to do with. I was like, I actually, I actually don't know how to fill this time. The day feels so much longer because I'm used to playing baseball. Like, I don't know. I don't even know who I am anymore. And it was this crazy, wicked transition. What I did was I went to my mentors and asked, like, what do you think I should do next? Because my mentors got me there. So, like, I trusted that they had the perspective that I didn't to see maybe where I should go in business. And I think that's, that's, that, that alone is good advice, right? Like, Follow the people who have been where you wish to go because they have a different view on things than you do at the moment. The piece of advice that I want to give that I got in that moment when I asked the question of what should I do next, they pointed me towards sales. And when I heard it, I initially thought like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I want to be a salesman. Those people are like slimy and sleazy and I hate getting calls from salesmen. I don't want to do that. But everybody kept saying, go into sales, go into sales. And I'm not sure that they knew exactly why but they were right. And it made such a transformation in me. And it allowed me to exercise that same passion and desire that I had for baseball, just in a totally different fashion. And I just want to break the stigma around sales, like through and through. Sales is solving problems. It's communication and solving problems. And your compensation is tied to how many people you can help and how big of a problem you can solve. Yes, there's plenty of people who do it incorrectly and make a bad name for it. You don't have to be that person. If you're looking for something, if you're in that same moment that I just described where maybe you're graduating this year and you don't really know what to do next, I implore you to go and try to get a sales job so that you can get paid to learn that skill. That skill will pay dividends for the rest of your life, whether or not you're in a sales role. Boom. I love that, man. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know there's people out there that are going to love that as well. So thank you so much. I actually know the person in my head right now that will be listening that will actually absolutely love that advice. So I'm excited for this uh, interview to launch. So Ian, again, I appreciate you joining us. And for all the listeners out there, we appreciate you tuning in for the show. And you guys know the drill. Go subscribe and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.